I think it's important that, you know, a lot of these families say, you know, my child interacts better, smiles more, seems more engaged, seems less sleepy throughout the day. Fellow sapiens, welcome back to Epilepsy Sparks Insights. Now, today we talk to epilepsy neurosurgeon Luke Tomic in part two about how you measure if epilepsy surgery is a success and also taking into account how it isn't all about seizures for everybody. Epilepsy surgery purposes and outcomes can vary greatly and managing expectations is a really big deal, as Luke will tell us. Now on to our star of the week, Luke Tomic. My name is Luke Tomic. I'm a pediatric neurosurgeon by training, but now my practice basically specializes in pediatric and adult epilepsy care. And um, I'm the chief of pediatric epilepsy at Sanzari Children's Hospital at Hackensack uh, in Hackensack, New Jersey. And um, yeah, so that's that's basically who I am and what my practice consists of. How do you assess the success or lack thereof of a patient's surgery? Do you look at the overall quality of life as well as the seizures? Well, there's there's a few different uh, formal grading scales. Um, the one that we use the most often is called the angle oh, grading scale. Oh, angle. I, I have a problem with the angle grading scale, but I'll tell you about that afterwards. <laughs> again, I, th- that grading scale and the other ones basically, um, you know, angle one is seizure free. Angle 1A is seizure free, but you still need to be on medicines. Uh, so, again, I do have a few patients who were seizure free for a year, then they got tapered off their last medicine and they had a recurrence. They went back on the medicine, and now for a few years, they've been stable with no seizures. We call that angle 1A, where um, they, they have achieved seizure freedom, which is the goal, but it requires the continuance of some of the medicine. Um, and then, it, it, you know, it basically goes two, three, four, as in significant improvement, uh, occasional seizures, angle two. Angle three would be no change after surgery. Angle four would be worsened after surgery, so more seizures. Now, that's quite rare, but there are circumstances where that can happen. Again, thankfully, quite rare. Uh, most of the patients that I've had an angle four outcome, I'm immediately reoperating because there's something that probably we missed. And I can talk about one of those patients here in a minute to give you a, a, a lust, uh, sort of an illustrative case of uh, what could happen sometimes uh, in an angle four case. But again, we're usually, uh, we usually think of angle one and angle two as a quote unquote good outcome, okay? You've, you've significantly helped that patient. You've, you've either stopped all their seizures or you've made seizures rare. And, and that's, that's something that obviously can have a significant impact on the quality of life. Now, the other thing I would say is, you know, we, I think it's important and, and patients certainly think it's important not just to talk about seizures, but to talk about all these other things that um, that impact quality of life. So, you know, if you make somebody angle one, but you cause a new neurologic deficit, well, right. <laughs> you know, that patient uh, might not be very happy with that outcome, understandably. And so those are the other things that I think need to be considered is, uh, you know, most, most of my patients, obviously, who are seizure-free, the stories that I hear from families are, are good when it comes to quality of life. My child is learning better. Everybody at school notices that they're interacting better. You know, they seem happier. They, uh, the, you know, I had one child with a uh, frontal lobe epilepsy who ended up, he ended up, he got SEG first, stereotactic EG to better localize the seizures. And then he ended up getting a, 
uh, a dominant-sided subtotal frontal lobectomy, pretty extensive wow. surgery. Wow. And he had horrible behavior problems. That was really the, the family. Mom was a doctor. They came from upstate New York several hours away. Um, and uh, really, you know, sophisticated, smart, plugged-in family. And mom said, you know, our biggest problem, yes, the seizures are a big problem, but the behavior is just horrible. This, you know, the, the, this was a young boy. He would get violent. He would throw things. He would get into fights at school. Oh, gosh. And I just recently got an email yeah. from him. seizure-free now for over a year. And they said, you know, the biggest thing that's really impacted our quality of life is that his behavior is better. He has friends. He's getting along with people. He doesn't get into fights. And so I think, you know, these are some of the um, – I guess I would call them um, uh, uh, sort of um, adjacent issues to epilepsy, but they might be even more important than the seizures themselves. And I think the bottom line is I tell families that, look, usually if we can stop the seizures, these other things do get better. Not always, but usually. My opinion on angle class is uh, maybe goes against what some people might think. So. I would consider myself, I think, angle class three. But because my expectations were managed prior to surgery, okay, these are your likely, the, uh, the likelihood of you having no more seizures. This is the likelihood of this, 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 and this. Um, and these are the potential risks, which we discussed before. I didn't really expect too much. And so then when it, I come out the other side and I'm still on some medication, still having some seizures, but far fewer, to me, that is a successful surgery because my expectations were managed. Yeah, that's an interesting point. I, I do think it's it's really important to uh, talk about these different scenarios before surgery. Obviously, if you think that seizure freedom is what you're going to get and you don't, that is disappointing. But in your case, it sounds like you, you, you weren't sure what to expect, but you knew that, that, you know, a small improvement might be what you get and it could be more. It sounds like you were you were happy with what you got, you know. I think I think the other thing too is everybody tolerates surgery differently, you know. Um, uh, I've put some patients through a very big craniotomy, and within two three days, they're looking at me saying, "Hey, we're ready to go home. We don't Amazing. have much pain." And then I've put patients through a laser case where, uh, you know, now we're doing a lot of laser ablation, so we. It's, no craniotomy, just a small incision. You put a laser electrode in. And usually patients go home, the, go home the day after that kind of surgery. But I've had a few patients that they have headache and they have pain and they stay three, four days. And I think, you know, it's just how it is. I mean, I, th I think everybody's just a little bit different in their pain tolerance and how they and how they cope with surgery. Because, you know, surgery being in the hospital is difficult, right? You know, no, it's not your environment. It's a little bit mm -hmm. uh Maybe unpleasant. Maybe the food's not so good. It's scary. It's painful. You have IVs, you know. And, and so I think we have to be sensitive to the fact that everybody's going to go through this experience differently. And another thing I wonder, and I want your opinion, is should this be part of angle class or other ways of measuring surgery success? Should we take into account things like mental health and impacts on things like sight and movement disorders? Because as you kind of mentioned before, the outcomes can be measured sometimes not just by seizure frequency or severity after surgery. Do you look at that side of things? Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, you, you, your own feeling that the angle class is not really adequate 
It's not just your feeling. This is something that's been discussed at epilepsy conferences. Are we really capturing the effect we're having with this relatively simplistic, you know, it's, it's useful and, but, but it's, it, it doesn't really delve into all these other questions, you know, look, there are a lot of other factors after, um, epilepsy surgery that maybe could be looked at and ought to be looked at as part of the outcome. I mean, I'll give you an example. You know, I do a number of callosotomies. Callosotomy is, uh, you know, they used to call it split brain surgery, but it's, you know, it's actually, that, that sounds horrible, but it's actually a small, small incision, small craniotomy. And it's actually quite a, a elegant, delicate surgery where we, we don't have to go through brain. We just kind of slip down a normal fissure and then we cut those wires that connect one hemisphere to another. We are rarely doing that type of surgery for seizure freedom. But most of the patients and families really see the effects. And I hear things like, you know, sometimes it's, sometimes it's done on uh, relatively normal children. But a lot of times callosotomy might be done on a child who's highly autistic, nonverbal, sometimes wheelchair bound. And again, I think it's important that, you know, a lot of these families say, you know, my child interacts better, smiles more, seems more engaged, seems less sleepy throughout the day. Now, look, some people might look at that and say, is that, is that success? Well, I'll tell you what, for that family, it's a big deal. And, and, and it does make a difference. And, and if you can uh, conduct a surgery like that safely and get these kinds of outcomes that you know, angle class for most callosotomy patients is three, right? They're, uh, wow. you know, they get a little bit better, but they certainly don't go to rare disabling seizures. Uh, we did one meta-analysis on uh, corpus callosotomy. Chances of seizure freedom are hover in the teens, okay? It's not, it's not high. But, um, you know, these kinds of, these are the kinds of improvements that uh, aren't really getting captured in the grading system. And, and again, they've done post-op surveys of families who have uh, uh, gone through callosotomy or put their children through callosotomy. And again, overwhelmingly, those surveys show that families are happy they went through it. They feel like they're, uh, you know, those those outcomes are sometimes hard to quantify, but they feel like they have a child who's more, as I mentioned, interactive, engaged. Um, and, and again, the seizures can sometimes be uh, shorter less severe, you know, things like that. So again, that's not really uh, appreciated by the angle scoring, but it might be a significant quality of life improvement for the family. And what would you say is the worst thing that you have experienced as, this wasn't on our list of questions, but you don't have to answer, but as a neurosurgeon, I guess maybe it could be the death of a patient or the worsening of seizures as a result of surgery. What would you say? I've done close to, probably done over now, 75 hemispherotomies. So this is a relatively extensive surgery. Um, and, um, and it's, it's, it's a higher risk surgery. Um, and I've lost one patient, not, not during surgery, but he died about three months later. He was actually seizure free, but he developed something called low pressure hydrocephalus. And, okay, yeah. you know, that's look, I mean, I, I think, you know, I, I always tell patients who are going through hemispherotomy that um, I have lost one patient because I feel like it's something that I owe it to future patients to tell them about that. I, I think most patients are still 
reassured because again, I do have a very big experience, but you know, look, I think, you know, surgery is surgery. I, I, I tell people, you know, I'm, I'm not selling you a car. I'm, <laughs> I'm partnering with you in, in, um, in a intervention, in a healthcare intervention that, you know, uh, we, we have a very good, well-trained high volume team, but it doesn't mean everything always goes perfectly and there are risks. And I think, you know, that's part of what we do as surgeons and what we have to do honestly and carefully with our patients is describe those risks and make it clear that, you know, um, the risks are small. We think we can manage them in certain ways, but, but you need to be aware of them because if you're not and you get surprised by it, that's when there's, uh, understandably real frustration, disappointment, and unhappiness on the part of our patients. I think the other thing I would say is the more that I operate on patients with epilepsy, you know, we, we increasingly become aware of a cohort of patients. You know, we all know of the term drug-resistant epilepsy. Well, actually, increasingly in the literature, we've seen the term surgically refractory epilepsy, where patients have been operated on and we still can't make them seizure-free. And so... Yeah. You know, I recently, uh, just two weeks ago, implanted a patient bilaterally, and we saw three different areas that seemed to be independent generators of seizures. And, you know, again, you tell a family like that, look, there are surgeries we could offer you that we think are palliative, that we think will help you, but we don't know of anything at this point that will make you totally seizure-free, and we don't want to make that promise. And so I think, look, it's it's hard. It's hard to put a patient through surgery and they're still not totally seizure free and they're still uh, dealing with with seizures as part of their life. But I think, you know, as long as we are honest with our patients, as long as we give them the, the numbers as best as we know them, because again, sometimes, you know, everybody's a little bit different. Thank you to Luke for sharing with us what the potential outcomes of epilepsy surgeries can be and how it is crucial to manage expectations and share potential risks. Next week, we shall talk about why aren't patients that need epilepsy surgery getting it. So make sure that you join us.